you that I have a question of my own. Yes. Actually, uh, it bothers me a lot mm-hmm. since I was pretty young. Yes, I don't know course. if it's a thing. But you're you're welcome, of course. And uh, were you always interested in how did that interest come? 
No, I was I was interested in in my life and um, particularly from age of 13, 14, 15, really uh, concerned with the question of what is a good way to live or what is the best way to live or how could you even decide or what criteria could you use to say one life is better than another life. And um, very concerned about the amount of suffering and injustice and cruelty in the world and wanting to find some kind of answers to questions like is it inevitable? Does it have to be like that? Can anything be done about it? What is the uh, uh, responsibility um, of each human being to try to alleviate the, the suffering of the world? No, uh, I, I actually watched one of the videos where you were talking to the students of uh, Yachiku. And you told them the story about when you were younger and uh, you actually suffered from asthma. Can you please tell me a little bit about that? Well, I had asthma from age of like 18 months until I was 14 and that meant that uh, I was often off school which uh, ironically led me to be much more of a scholar than my friends because being alone a lot I, I like to read and was probably a lot more introspective and thoughtful than most young boys of my age and um, when you have a, a serious illness like that as a child then um, it does make you question things in a, in a way that uh, probably would occur otherwise. And, uh, I can't remember if I told this story to the children, but there was one night I remember in particular when I was about eight, eight years old when I had an attack of asthma and I was struggling to breathe, I was very frightened. And I was about to call out to my parents. Um, and then I heard them in the other room watching the TV and laughing. And I thought, why, why would I call them in here and disturb them? They can't really do anything except hold my hand or comfort me. And it's had this, uh, now I articulate as, as an adult, but in, uh, the, the feeling was when you're really suffering and when things get really bad, it, you're on your own. You've got to learn how to uh, help yourself and that even those people who love you the most, your parents, they can't really uh, help more than in, in a very superficial way. So that, that was something that I think set me on the path towards the, uh, the Buddhist training or education, the sense of um, the need to take responsibility for one's own life. Now, uh, you moved to Thailand when you were about 20 years old. Yeah, right. yeah. And uh, you became an uh, Anangarika step to right? Yes, I had already become an Anagarika, which simply means someone who's left the home life, so someone who's now on the path towards monkhood. Was that, uh, how did you decide that you wanted to do that? Um, I, I left school um, after my A-levels and worked, uh, saved some money, and then went overland to India. And I spent almost two years, from the age of 17 to 19, um, traveling by myself and exposing myself to various cultures, but particularly um, to Indian culture and Buddhism. And so by the time I returned to England, um, I, I, was, I realized I didn't want to go to university or follow a conventional career path, get married or any of these things, but I wanted to devote myself to study and practice of Buddhism. 
but didn't quite know how to go about it. Um, and fortunately, I, I enrolled in a meditation retreat, um, which was taught by a man who had been a monk in Thailand for a number of years. And he would often talk about his experiences as a monk. And hearing this, I felt so much joy. Well, this is exactly what I've been looking for. This is the way of life that I've been searching for the last two years. So it was a very simple, easy decision for me to make. You didn't, uh, I would imagine, being a person who's a teenager, you have so many things going on in your life. You take a I can imagine when I was a teenager, of course, yeah. so many things going on in my mind. That thought pops up. How do you, how do you decide to leave everything that you have, to leave that responsibility, to leave everything, and go into a life to practice Buddhism? Well, well, as I said, I, I'd left home at 17, and that was already, you know, a major um, wrench in my life, and just left my, all my family and friends behind, and wandering around the world for two years. So the the move from to, to Thailand to become a monk wasn't such a, really such a huge um, uh, change in my life as as to first movement away from home onto the traveling path. But I, I, I just was so, so fortunate that as, as someone so young I found a way of life, a path that um, I could see fulfilling my highest goals, ideals, aspirations and something that I could give myself to for the rest of my life. So uh, I feel so fortunate so, so few people have that kind of um, discovery. No, but you normally see that Buddhism is not a belief-based religion, yeah. but uh, an education-based one, mm. which teaches people to liberate themselves from all suffering through a clear, penetrating understanding of the way things happen. Mm -hmm. Why? Why do you see um, Well, I, I think it's, it, it is helpful to distinguish Buddhism from the uh, belief system uh, religions such as Christianity, Islam and so on um, because there is a lot of confusion uh, on this point and I think that Buddhism does have something unique to offer um, in most religions faith is considered to be the primary virtue to the degree that the word religion and faith these days are used almost interchangeably. Whereas in Buddhism, faith is considered a tool to be used in this overall training or cultivation of, of our life. And that it is one uh, which is could be called a two-edged sword. And that faith always needs uh, wisdom, critical intelligence, questioning mind to prevent faith from um, degenerating into either fanaticism or our superstition. So faith is not seen as the, uh, you know, the be-all and the end-all of religion, but it is one particular tool that we're using to develop our life and one which has to be monitored with wisdom. It's a very different attitude and I think given the amount of violence and conflict in the world through blind attachment to belief systems that the Buddhist insight um, into the role of, of faith is a very important and timely one. So faith is just one tool. 
There are so many, yes. Um, there is faith, of course. In, there is a role for faith in Buddhism, and, and faith has a particular role to play in that it focuses attention, it clarifies things, um, it cuts out all the unessential, and it makes you very, um, uh, very energetic and devoted. So, effort is also important. Mindfulness, awareness, clarity of mind, uh, inner peace, wisdom. These are the five uh, major tools. Now, uh, what is the basic thing that uh, Buddhism teaches a person? Very basic thing. The Buddhist uh, starts off with um, the willingness to look at our life. Not to believe in things blindly, but to look and to learn from our life. So, yes, obviously the, the basic thing is this understanding of life as a learning process, that we are students of life. And in my work with schools, I tell them we're all students here. We have three kinds of students, the pupils, the teachers, and the parents. But we're all learning. And I, that idea of we're learning, there's always something to learn. And we have the capacity, uh, potential, whether we're Asians or Europeans, men or women, we have the capacity to learn from experience and to cultivate the good and the wholesome within our hearts. Do you think it's good enough to be a good person? Well, what, what do you mean by a good person? Uh, when you say good person, be good to other people, try, to, try not to well, trying to be the best that you can be is, is a good principle, but what is that? You know, that's the, that's the thing we're not really sure. Maybe we can be better than we think we can. But we also lie to ourselves a lot, um, and we lack self-awareness. And many people um, do have ideals, um, very noble ideals, but they lack the intelligence and systematic um, application principles um, to really um, realize those ideals. For instance, um, see many people going into uh, NGOs or into charitable foundations uh, with very noble ideals. But uh, as time goes on, um, maybe they get very attached to their ideas about how things should be done. So there tend to be a lot of conflicts, uh, views and opinions. Um, and um, sometimes after some period of success, there's praise comes and fame, and then people become uh, lost in fame, blame. So there are so many traps and so many um, pitfalls on the way that merely good intentions uh, don't usually, um, not enough. You need to develop that inner awareness and wisdom. Um, to complement the good intentions. Now, uh, this is just a question which I, I normally sort of find myself asking. Do you think that uh, all religions are different? Or, what? Do you, or do you think that they have basic, basic principles of religions are basically the same? I don't think religions uh, are basically the same. But uh, I, I also don't think that they have to be the same. Um, there, there, there seems to be often an idea that we can only be friends if we all agree that basically 
we're all the same. Um, we're all the same, therefore we don't have to be enemies. But I think as Buddhists we can say we're all different, but we can still be friends. You know, and uh, so I, I think different. Uh, religious systems, different religions suit different people or even different cultures. Um, and I think that it's more important we have a sense of mutual respect and, and kindness um, rather than uh, making big claims that, oh, we're really all um, doing the same thing or going to the same, because people don't really know. So if there is any um, unifying principle amongst all the religions, it's not at the top, it's the bottom, that mostly, uh, basically, people don't really know what they're talking about. Yes. <laughs> um, um, what sort of advice would you have for a person if uh, they were interested in practicing Buddhism? How could they start off? Well, in Bhutan, you mean? Or uh, generally? Generally, um, well, there are... Um, these days, I mean, we're, we're, we're fortunate in having access to information that um, people in previous generations, even 20, 30 years ago, didn't. So there's not that great need to find an enlightened teacher and to spend a long time with them. That we can learn an awful lot now from the internet, from YouTube. There's a lot of stuff on YouTube. Um, and there's so many um, good Buddhist books now available for free download. So if someone wants to start studying and learning about Buddhism, then um, that's quite quite easy. But the uh, what I would suggest is um, firstly to give um, a great deal of attention to the quality of your actions and speech, and just um, the. Uh, if you are li living um, an unskillful way, acting, speaking in ways that cause harm to yourself or others, then even if you get all the empowerments, all the esoteric teachings, learn all the meditation techniques, they won't be very uh, successful because it will be one step forward and two steps back. So I, I would suggest being very observant of what kinds of behavior brighten your mind, uplift your mind, and what kinds of behavior and speech pull your mind down and make you feel guilty or make you feel uh, negative towards yourself. Because um, one of the most important foundations for spiritual practice is self-respect and you have to be a good friend to yourself. So if you're acting and speaking in foolish ways, it's very hard to be a good friend to yourself. Um, so, uh, good conduct is important, generosity, kindness, um, kindness towards uh, all those around you, service, developing all those kinds of uh, good qualities. Um, but most importantly, just putting aside some time every day, first thing in the morning, just to, de to develop some basic mental hygiene. You know, we're pretty good with uh, keeping our bodies clean these days, but uh, we overlook the mind and we need to be able to develop our attention span and to be able to deal um, wisely and efficiently with negative emotions, not indulging in them, not repressing them or putting them away, 
but learning how to see them and letting them go. Otherwise, um, no matter how, uh, how much material progress, if our minds are still obsessed with um, desires and with anger and jealousy and depression and anxiety, all these things, we're never really going to experience any true happiness in our life. And this happiness is not something esoteric, you don't have to go to the top of a mountain or into a cave. It just means learning to train and educate and discipline your mind in a little bit more systematic way than most people attempt right now. Well, I'd like to thank you so much for your time. That was a prayer from Thailand. He's a actually heard all the things that we have to see. It was a very interesting uh, session for me as well. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, this is Death and Rocky saying bye-bye. Uh, my question is actually, I don't know if it's normal for we have all to be thinking too much about death, but uh, when I was pretty younger, mm-hmm. sometimes I still get that feeling. I'll just be lying down and then I think, and what comes, what comes after? Mm-hmm. Frightens me because that, uh, that feeling of having nothingness, feeling you don't know what's going to happen, so uncertain. That really scares me. Um, well, first, I would say it's um, this is probably uh, the result of um, experiences in past lives and spiritual practice in past life, and in fact, the interest or even obsession with death and children seven, eight years old, usually about that age, is not unusual and it's actually, I, I would say, a sign of intelligence rather than anything else. Um, but the, the problem is that the fear and the panic that arises. Um, but the, the recognition that we're born and we're going to get old and we're going to get sick and we're going to die this is something that a truth that we need to come back to again and again and again. So rather than repressing the idea of death, is opening up to it, saying yes, that's what makes life so valuable, uh, because um, we don't know how how long it's going to last, and and so we can use this basic experience rather than uh, letting our mind wander, uh, follow in the path of depression or anxiety and fear taking it and, and using that um, as a means to give rise to some wisdom. So, yeah, I just don't have the time uh, to waste on getting angry over such a small thing because one day I'm going to die. The, um, the Buddha once said that, uh, speaking about different religious systems, um, he said there are those that believe in eternal heaven, those that believe in nothingness. And he said that both of these religious uh, groups, um, their philosophies are based on lack of observation, understanding of the way things are. He said, if you make your mind calm and peaceful, um, what you see is things arising and passing away. Thoughts, feelings, perceptions, memories, uh, emotions of various kinds. If you don't uh, if you don't um, become uh, overly interested in the content of the thought or the emotion, but you can see the process, something that arises and passes away. 
He says, when you see something arise, just calm, and it just something arises from the mind, without you wanting it, it just happens, it just arises. If you observe that again and again, the fear of nothingness will disappear. And similarly, when you see the how things just melt away, then these view, these ideas of eternal heaven, eternal hell, these these also disappear. So the answer is not to um, try to force yourself to think in a certain way, but to look at the nature of your mind very closely. And things just, it's just like, um, it's become unknotted. They've just become clear, clear to yourself. But all of the greatest and wisest beings in the Buddhist world, whether in Bhutan, Tibet, Thailand, um, they, they have taught that the death of the physical body is not, not the end. And this is just um, like one scene in a play. You don't. Uh, well, you can know. I mean, some people do develop uh, past lives. But I have an analogy for you, which I think is uh, quite a useful one. It's, let's say you, uh, you come from a, a very flat country, like um, Holland or somewhere like this, okay? And you, you find yourself in a strange country that you've never been in before. And some good friend has given you a map. Okay, so you're walking along this road and you're glancing at the map and comparing it with the, the trees and the mountains and buildings on either side. Before very long, you conclude this is a really good map. It's extremely accurate. And then after a while, you think, I'll just sit down and have a rest. And you open up the whole map. And you see, uh, up in the top corner of the map, um, says there are mountains 5,000 meters high. And your, your common sense and your experience, everything tells you that's not possible. You can't imagine it because you, you lived it. You were born in Holland. Okay, you've never seen a hill as alone a mountain in your life. And every, every uh, if your intuition is this cannot be true. But then another part of your mind says, but just wait a minute, this is just this the same map. And is it, is it possible or is it likely that this map, which is so completely accurate in this part, should be completely inaccurate in that part? It doesn't make sense either. And, and so you may conclude that, um, yes, the, this, in those areas of the map which I have put to the test, they have all been completely accurate. So therefore I'll, I'll give that part of the map the benefit of the doubt and I'll, I'll go and see for myself. So this is the idea with teachings in Buddhism which we don't have any personal we can't personally verify right now. But that given that they are uh, teachings coming from the Buddha himself, and so many of the teachings of the Buddha are on a basic level, we have proved that they are absolutely accurate. Then we have this like, confidence that, yeah, yeah, I think... Uh, but similarly, you know, if you read um, uh, writings of Einstein or these great scientists, you, you can't prove to, your, you know, to yourself whether the raw law of relativity and all these things are, uh, are accurate. But given the fact that in all the areas of physics in which you are proficient, 
he's generally accepted as being the best physicist who's ever lived, then it gives you some confidence. And I think this is one way of looking at all these teachings about different realms and you know, past lives and future lives. You start off with a very humble um, apology. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but, you know, this makes sense to me. And, and I think this is, a, this is a good way. And, in fact, the Buddha called it caring for the truth. He said, don't ever claim to know something that you only believe. Believing and knowing things not the same. And this is, this is a big problem in the world today, because like the, the fundamentalist Christians and Muslims you know, say, I know. So how do you know? Well, it's in my book. It's in the Quran. It's in the Bible. And it's basically circular reasoning. It's true because I believe it, and I believe it because it's true. But it, 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 surely it's obvious that as human beings, we are capable of believing 100% in things that are not true. And if that's the case, how can we uh, be so convinced by belief? This belief can be, uh, can be accurate or inaccurate. So this is one of the reasons, going back to your first question, why do I keep talking about belief systems and education systems? Because I think it's only in Buddhism you get this unique uh, you know, perspective on, on belief. So yet, you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you believe that Muhammad, fine, wonderful, no problem. But just don't forget that's only a belief. You don't actually know that. You know? Uh, but if people could just take that one step of acknowledging that belief is not knowledge, I think the world would be a lot better place than it is today. Yeah. But I don't know why I always had that feeling. Sometimes I feel like I'm very displaced. I'm about to sleep and suddenly it just comes up. Yeah. Well, if you were to um, go on a meditation retreat or have some spiritual teachings in a very calm, peaceful atmosphere, rather than being like a curse, you might find it a real blessing because it's. Um, it is a, a sign of some spiritual um, cultivation past life. What is that this thing where I wanted to go? Mm. I believe when I was small, I used to say I wanted to go to a monastery. Yeah. I, I never really followed up on this. I do get this thing sometimes. I, think. Yeah. I just want to go and go away from One of the things I've been talking about here and uh, you know, to consider some kind of Bhutanese um, adaptation of the Thai um, custom of temporary ordination to become a monk, a lay, a lay monk for a month and like for a meditation or a course and create like a quite uh, intensive uh, because I think it's uh, one of the Thai customs that's very good. It means, you see, Bhutan now is the younger generation becoming more alienated from the monastic. To have some, you know, not expecting people to become monks for all their lives. Just to have a period of time 
say after they finish college or school, before they start their career, to be with themselves and to learn about Buddhism. Seems to be a very good thing. My question, when you were, before you read on families, did you ever have that sort of feeling where you wanted to, you know, when you thought that there was a calling for you, you had to go somewhere, do something else with life? Well, that's why I left England. I mean, I always felt that when I was in, I never really felt at home in England. I always felt a strong draw to, to Asia. And I uh, just want to, uh, you know, be free. I, I love that feeling of just being on the road with a backpack, you know, and nobody knows who you are, and just completely invisible and, and free that way. So, yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. It's been a, it's been a pleasure getting to talk to you.